you know what, Coulter, if you lose this one, you'll never get any more again. You'll never have an opportunity again. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third-generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't listened to the show before, I interview business owners, entrepreneurs, and influencers and tell their origin stories. Hearing the journeys of others is inspiring, and it's also fun to get to know our neighbors. Today, I am thrilled to have my guest here to share his story. He's been influential in growing several businesses and now serves as the CEO of Arcane Marketing. Welcome, Coulter Hansen. Thanks for having me, Renee. I'm really excited for this. Well, me too, because we've had several members of your team and we hadn't caught up with you, Coulter, so this is good that we can talk to you and kind of put the uh, the dot on the eye of a lot of things that have happened lately. Well, you got to interview all the great people before me, and so I'm really... <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'm sure they appreciate that. But. Yeah, you know, we have a pretty powerful team, and I'm excited. Uh, I, I've actually really enjoyed listening to all of their episodes, and it's prepared me, I hope, for what we get to talk about today. Um, but privileged to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you being here and, and um, for taking the time. I know you guys... Things have gone crazy, you're super busy, and so I appreciate you so much. Um, tell me any updates on Arcane, because the last time I talked to members of your team, it was right before RiseCon. So certainly there's been things that have happened. Talk to us about what's going on. Absolutely, so we continue to grow month over month, and some of us, uh, some would call us a six-month-old business, uh, but that's only because we've combined multiple companies that uh, have been in business for four, seven, 15 years, and uh, we've really created a powerhouse uh, team in that we have combined what were several niche um, companies in, in different avenues. So you have social media that was you know, operating as one company, videography and photography as another, SEO and paperclip, as yet another and even another that was focused strictly on web development and you know going through the merger of each one of those companies uh, has been no small task uh, in aligning the vision and understanding of where we're trying to go um, with each one of those companies that were separate but now aligning as one unified group of owners and marketers that have done business uh, quite differently, but with the same idea in mind of wanting to grow companies and to build uh, clients and to give them value and create value. So that brings up a question to me. As you guys have gone through this journey, have you found that really you all kind of defined success a little differently? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we all define success differently, uh, whether it's in our personal or, or professional lives. Uh, some of it's measure, measured by dollars and cents. Uh, others is defined by, you know, time or freedom. Uh, and, you know, while all of those are striving for something that feels successful to us, you know, a conversation I had, you know, even yet today was, how are you finding fulfillment even though there are stressful moments throughout a day or a week? And what, is, what are those fulfilling moments? And the response that I got was, 
I really like to see my team succeed. I really like being the expert in the room. And, uh, you know, in, in, in having that conversation uh, with one of my team members just today was that that success is that feeling like they are the expert in their field and it isn't necessarily defined by the paycheck that goes home at the end of the day. Now, that's important and we have to meet those that in the hierarchy of needs, but them being able to have developed a skill to a degree that they are relied on as the expert is a definition of success for them. And, and, I, and I love that because now we can find more opportunities for him to develop more skills, uh, to be more of an expert, to then develop more of our team members into those expert level personnel. So what I hear you saying, Coulter, is you have got, your, your team members have been able to really whittle down on their personal definition of success. When you look at the company as a whole, you guys are all, you feel like you're all aligned now with the definition of success for the company? Yeah, in many regards. Uh, so definition of success for owners is going to be different from uh, you know, each individual employee absolutely, um, and each owner, right? So well, we, but wait a minute, if you guys are all looking to, if, if the dollar, I'm not suggesting that that's the outcome, but if the dollar is the outcome, you guys all have that focus towards working towards that. So bringing all these individuals in alignment seems like that's the challenge is if some of them were interested only in the financial aspect rather than the people aspect, then there's this rub. Um, and so are you saying that you guys have taken this journey to kind of get into alignment with that? Yeah, so alignment in the direction we're trying to take the company is we each have our roles and responsibilities and those are really important for us to define. Is that at the end of the day, we each have a job that we need to get done. And, and part of the job of what each of us need to get done includes uh, the pay that we take home at the end of the day. Sure, you know, you got to feed your family. We need to feed our families, absolutely. Um, you know, but somebody that just came in, maybe even an intern, that intern is motivated by getting an internship done, and our motivation is turning that employee or that intern into an employee that can stick around for, with our company for maybe five or ten years. And if we can create that culture to where that intern wants to become a part of arcane marketing because we have provided the environment and the culture and the ideals of where we're going as a company that's what they're looking for they're looking to get out of college having had a successful internship they got that degree now they get the you know the salary and some benefits and they get to buy the house after a couple of years. And you guys have given them that opportunity. We give them that opportunity mm -hmm. and they have met their hierarchy of needs yeah. and feel like they have found success in the direction that they're taking themselves individually as a professional, their family, and whoever it is that relies on them. And they're able to, and they get in alignment with us as a company they feel like they're accomplishing what they need to. And I want to give every single one of our interns and new employees that opportunity to grow with us so that they become a part of that culture that we feel like we have designed. And that is absolutely critical. And I get excited about it because we've hired so many interns after they've done internships with us. And it's fun to see that development of 
hey, they just bought the house, and hey, you know, yeah. their family is and growing. And you're contributing to that. And we're contributing to that. And it's really important to us uh, to be able to contribute to that. Well, it's fun to hear that Arcane is in a position that that's, like those wheels are turning, like the momentum is happening for sure. Tell me a little bit about RiseCon. Uh, can you kind of summarize how RiseCon went and um, what you feel like as a company you learned from that event? Uh, is there going to be another one? Oh, absolutely. There's going to be another one. Great. Uh, RiseCon is such an exciting partnership and and organization for us because of the relationships that we're able to not just gain, but renew and strengthen because of those two days that we get to spend uh, with our clients, with prospective clients, with just community members that we like to you know like and trust and associate with on a regular basis and RiseCon is a platform where we get to see other movers and shakers in the room that feel like it's important to one move community forward but are very driven on what they want to accomplish in their business in their professional career and what they're trying to do uh, as professionals and that's that's the exciting thing about RiseCon for us is that it's taking people places and we want to take people places. Well, and it's also fun to see all of that influence in East Idaho. So exciting. Absolutely, yeah, it, it really is. It's so much fun to be a part of. So I probably made the assumption that the listeners even know what RiseCon is. Maybe you should just give them a quick, this is what RiseCon is in case they're not aware. Yeah, RiseCon to us is an organization that brings driven individuals together to, to grow as professionals, to grow as companies, and to impact community. And it's a two-day conference. It's a two-day conference that happens uh, first part of November uh, each year. This will be the third year that it happens. And are the dates set? You know what? There's probably a better authority on that. <laughs> yes, I it's believe it's the first is. part of November. Is when it is. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is the first part of November. Let's okay. find those dates. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep that open on your calendar, listeners, so that you can be there. Um, I'm sure we'll have more details coming as yes. time goes. Well, I do know I was able to participate in RiseCon this year, and it's always very uplifting. Again, this was the second year, but just being able to compare it even from the first year to the second year, um, you guys made some great improvements. But the crux of it, the guts of it, where we come and learn and share um, was, you know, it's there and it's just so powerful. So I really encourage people to come. Yeah. We do too. We absolutely love the event and being a part of it and, and want more more professionals, more business owners, more driven individuals to be a part of it. Okay, well, we'll work on that. Great. So Coulter, tell me a little bit about um, your background. How did you come to be the CEO of Arcane? Um, what was your path that led you to even being an entrepreneur? So the entrepreneurial mindset has always been with me. I mean, I, I started at a young age, um, you know, I ran my own landscaping business and it went beyond just mowing lawns. Uh, but I went and I worked with a uh, landscape architect and, uh, you know, I was installing sprinkler systems for him and I was running everything from start to finish and uh, then I did it for myself. And running. so how old were you when you were doing all of this? Uh, let's see, I was, so I would have been 16 when I started my first like official business, yeah, which, that's cool. which was installing sprinkler systems. I was doing everything from the electrical to the plumbing to the, you know, installation, um, the design element to you know, the very finished product. And uh, I love seeing a finished product. The deliverable is just so much fun for me. 
And in sprinkler systems, the reward is when you finally turn on the water and all of those heads pop up and you, you see the spray of the water. And, you're and there's like, not a big bulge in the lawn where it's yeah, leaking. Yeah, right? And you're like, hey, I did that. And isn't that cool? Yeah. And, uh, and there's different ways of seeing that deliverable or that you know success point. And that's what it was for me as a 16, 17, 18-year-old is that I, I love seeing that end product that I had done that, you know, my employees had done. And at 16 years old, you know, having employees uh, was uh, was a fun thing for me because we all felt like we were doing what we needed to do to be able to, you know, pay for the gas in the truck to go and do stupid stuff on the weekends. Right, <laughs> right. right. That's, what, that's what our goal is at that time in our life. Right. Yes. Okay, so then that's where you kind of had that mindset of entrepreneurialism. I think that's a word. Um, but where, so where did that lead you? Yeah, you know, so I came back off of that and I, I had a family uh, friend that, uh, you know, after serving a mission in Brazil for two years and learning Portuguese, uh, I had an incredible experience there in leadership and, uh, you know, working with, uh, you know, a lot of other younger guys. And um, it was, it, it, I came home from that and I was talking to a family friend that, you know, did multi-million dollar ranches. And, you know, if your mind isn't blown when you start to talk in the tens of millions of dollars with a guy, I don't know what is, right? Right, especially at that time in your life. It probably seems a little bit like Monopoly money, like yeah. a gazillion bazillion. Yeah, like, I'm lucky if I can fill my truck up today. Thanks, <laughs> right, bud, you know? Right. <laughs> so he's talking to you about all of this. And, you know, I say, you know, what? what should I do, Danny? And um, he says, you know what, Coulter, doesn't matter. Just create value. Just create value. <clears throat> and, you know, so I started my career in real estate shortly after that, and I started investing in properties. Uh, and uh, at the same time, I was going to school, which I was also doing a real estate education where I would have to skip out of school for an entire week every quarter so that I could go and do this practical real estate education mm -hmm. uh, for investing. To actually become a realtor? Nope. Okay. To become a real estate investor. So it oh, was okay. strictly, there's a theme. There was, there's okay. a theme, yeah. So it was a real estate education program that I invested in and it was fantastic education, very practical. And uh, if anybody knows me, I'm a very pragmatic mind. I, uh, I like to put uh, figures to just about everything that I do. And uh, <laughs> which, you know, you came in and I had to make sure that my office was organized just the way <laughs> so that we could get into the zone. We had a 10 minute delay because he had oh, to organize. 10 minute delay, she exaggerates, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is in perfect shape now, yes, I love it. You know, but having that structure is really important to me and, um, so coming back to you know the thought around education is that I uh, I love to learn and I would sit in college classes and I would learn things I just didn't know what to do with the knowledge uh -huh. it wasn't as practical to you it wasn't as practical to me and then I would go and I would spend a week uh, down in Phoenix Arizona which is already a treat right but then I would get all of this education and I could come home for the next three months. I had a to-do list and I could click through this to-do list and I could start to make money. Yeah. And, you know, being that pragmatic mind with also a focus and a, an objective to, you know, 
be able to do more than just put fuel in the truck. Uh, I wanted to accomplish more than just sit in a class and, you know, yeah, have, college wasn't doing that for quote you. unquote, have knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, so with that, I started my, you know, real estate education and I started to acquire properties. Uh, my first business partner was in 2009 and uh, I will, I mean, give praises to him and uh, just absolutely love my friend, Randy Thompson, uh, because he was the first guy that trusted me with a good chunk of money for us to go invest in the first property that I had ever invested in. And we went and we did it and we made money and it was a happy day because we were both, you know, we both got out of it what we were hoping for. So why did he trust you? Because you had gone through this in this real estate investor program. What, what, what was it that made him want to give this punk kid money to go invest on his behalf, basically. Yeah, I would have been 22 years old. Yeah, why? And he wrote he wrote a check for you know, <laughs> well, probably about a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, why would he trust me? Um, one is that I did. I went and got the education, and uh, which we have to acquire knowledge and get and acquire an expertise in something, and I went and did that, and then I like to think that I'm a driven individual and I'm going to go after it and I'm going to accomplish a goal. Uh, and so combining those two in... And he'd seen that in you. He had seen that in me. Mm -hmm. And we'd had multiple conversations. It wasn't like, hey, you know, Randy, call him up on the phone and hey, you want to write, <laughs> write a check. It was, no, hey, you know what? I appreciate your expertise in business, Randy. And I appreciate that maybe we can do something together. Yeah. And you know what? He put me through some steps to make sure that he was making the right decision. And uh, I'll never forget one thing that he said to me. He says, you know what, Coulter, if you lose this one, you'll never get any more again. You know, you'll never, you'll never have an opportunity again um, with me. Uh -huh. And, you know, so that trust that he put in me was also given some guidelines of going, you better kick butt. Yeah. Or you better kick butt. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we did. And um, you're not going to fail. You're not going to fail. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was a that was a great lesson for me in kind of the next stepping stone of, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And guess what? I didn't I didn't hit the mark every single time. In yeah. 2010, I got my Harvard cost equivalent education, which was which was we invested in a couple of properties uh, in Washington state. And Randy wasn't um, a partner in those. And but we invested in some properties, took bad advice from what were supposed to be really good professionals, and uh, we came away having you know lost six figures plus. Yikes! Oh, that's painful. <laughs> so I call it my Harvard cost equivalent education. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm able to look back at that and understand the due diligence pieces that I missed. One is that not everyone that you talk to and tells you the the flowery story has the right flowery story. You need, do you think you were intentionally misled or do you think they believed what they were telling you? A combination of both. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. I think there, there, was, there were ulterior motives of them getting paid, yeah. which they got paid first. Of course. And, <laughs> you know, as the investor, we would get paid last. Yeah. And it was simply a motivation of getting a paycheck and surviving the day rather than doing what's best for the client. Yeah. 
that, like you said, a Harvard cost, whatever you called it, is a Harvard cost equivalent education. That's huge, just learning that not everybody's intentions might be the same as yours. Yeah, but it also tells me that, hey, you know what, I'm gonna do what I can, my absolute best for every single client that trusts me with their money. Now, does that mean we're going to win every single time? No, but my team is gonna do their absolute best every single time to yeah. make sure that that client feels taken care of. Yeah, you'll function from the same place of integrity Yeah, and do the very best you can. And what I tell them that we're going to do, we're going to do it 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Because I've been on the, you know, the alternate side of that picture where you know, I was told something and it wasn't delivered on. And you know, I take responsibility too. I made the decision to invest in those properties, but to have been misled the way that we were was simply a motivation of that guy needed a paycheck that day, yeah. and I gave it to him, but without the delivery of what was promised. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is a big education. So back to education, did you finish college or did you say this really isn't for me because I'm, this isn't practical? No, I kept going. You did. And you know what? I, I'm really glad that I did. Uh -huh. uh, I actually went through and got my master's in accounting. Oh, yeah, you really went through. You <laughs> I went, continued. I really went through the process okay. of formal education. And I'm proud that I did. And uh, I actually was um, hired on at Melaleuca. So I was the first ever international accountant hired right out of college. Wow. Uh, everybody else in the department had worked at the company for two to four years um, prior to going into the international accounting department. And I won't lie, I was green behind the ears, but I was motivated to kick butt in the department. And I, and I loved it, right? Melaleuca is an, absolutely an absolute machine, and it's because they, they have structured it to where it will function and it will function for the long term. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they figured out those processes. They have, yeah. So they have the processes, they have the procedures, and you know what? They they move like a machine, and uh, being a part of that and that education, learning and becoming a student of the business was really important to me. Kind of defining how I needed to structure my other business ventures. Because by that point, I had you know invested in multiple properties. I think the first year I was at Melaleuca, I bought four rental properties. And it was a vehicle for me to be able to buy more property and to create wealth. Uh, and me creating wealth, uh, and from my standpoint, is that we buy assets that pay us so that we can, so that those assets will cover our expenses. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, knowing that I didn't want to work for long, excuse me, knowing that I didn't want to work for Melaleuca long term was, okay, how do I accelerate my growth from an investment standpoint and from a wealth creation standpoint? Mm -hmm. And while in that though, I was a student of the business. I was gonna learn everything that I possibly could. Was that a strategy of yours to pick that particular company because you knew how they were structured and what you could learn? Um, or happy accident. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be happy accident, but I was, I also knew that I wanted to work for a big company. Yeah. And uh, I, I also had the motivation to do international business. Yeah. So that had always been in my mind of, I want to travel for business. I want to do international business. And I liked that. Um, 
I liked that idea and loved the idea of, hey, somebody else is going to pay for my travel and I can go, go and be the professional to go to Australia and Taiwan and Singapore. Yeah. And, you know, I've been to several dozen countries because of it and was able to spend, uh, you know, almost three years at Melaleuca doing just that. Uh, another few years, a uh, couple of years at Kayani doing just that and, um, you know, helping these companies grow and and being able to establish strategic plans of the next phase of growth for them. Mm -hmm. And that was oh, such a powerful education. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, I'm still investing in my businesses and being able to grow what was important to me from a long-term standpoint. And I don't know how many 22-year-olds or you know 21-year-olds decide, hey, I'm going to retire early. But I would encourage every single 20, 21, 22-year-old to decide, hey, retirement is important. Because if you decide now, the earlier you decide, the earlier you'll You're get there. you plan for that. Yeah, I can't stomach Knowing the idea. full well, you may really never retire because you, you need to have something to do. Yeah, my retirement <laughs> will simply, some retirement to me looks like my passive income will cover my regular expenses. Right, right. And, and then that you can do exactly all the dreams that you want to do outside yeah, of that. Retirement does not mean that I get to stop working. Yeah. And get to isn't the right term. Retirement to me does not mean I stop working. Yeah. It means that I get to work at what I what I see as per, as providing the most value for me, my family, for the organizations, the teams that um, that I have the opportunity to work with and influence and help learn, you know, grow in the same facet. Yeah, I think in that, when we have that kind of mindset, it, you just think exponentially how many more people you could help achieve their success. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and these resources allow for, you know, to provide more resources. And, you know, I'm, I'm an ROI-driven person as much as any client that comes in and says, hey, we want to do you know, $5,000 in marketing ad, ad spend. That's fantastic. I want to turn it into six. You know? And, <laughs> I know. I've been on the side of that. So, <laughs> no, it's all good. So tell me, okay, you've had success in working for other companies. Why was being an entrepreneur attractive to you? You had this side gig kind of going on, and I know you said you were you know, planning your wealth so that later in life you're set. But what was the moment when you knew you just had to do this? Like, there, nothing else, I can't see anything else, I just have to do this. Yeah. You know, my family was starting to grow, and it was, uh, let's see, it would have been 2017. So I had two little girls at home that were three and one years old. And, um, and, and the determining factor was I was then traveling a lot. And... I loved what I was doing. Absolutely loved what I was doing. You know, I was, and, and a lot of people look at international travel for work as a luxury. It quickly becomes not so. Because all you're doing is jumping on an airplane and you're several thousand miles away in a bed that is not yours, in an office that's not yours. And I loved it because I loved working with these professionals in Australia and India and Mexico and you know Singapore and all these places, it was really fun for me. Um, but I was missing what was most important. And that was my wife and my two little girls at the time and now three little girls that I am so proud of and I didn't want to miss out on the moments of 
the first step. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to miss out on the moments of them saying daddy for the first time or, you know, helping them learn how to say that earlier. Yeah. Because those moments to me are so much more important than me being considered that that professional in Australia because I get to go over there and work with great people, but I'm missing out on what's at home. Mm-hmm. And me coming home to that was more important at 5 p.m. than it was after a three-week stint in India. Mm-hmm. So you, you finally just said, I can't miss this anymore. I've got to be with them. Yeah. And so is that what, is that, I, I know that you were in Gravity Pictures, mm-hmm. like at, is that what tore you away from your company job then, the yeah, corporate so, job? So Gravity Pictures was operating uh, while I was at Kayani. And okay. we had, we had established that. So it was yeah. a side gig mm-hmm. and uh, was was going really well. And uh, then Ryan Harris and I met and we started the conversation. We started working together, you know, between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. And, you know, when I had to go into the office and... Uh, we started to collaborate and we had clients that we were going back and forth between Gravity Pictures and Strategic Social Partners. And it was fun, we were growing, it was exciting. And then finally it was, Ryan was like, all right, how do we do this full time? Yeah. How do, I, how do I get your full attention? Because we were already killing it. And, uh, and I- Imagine would, what you could do together. Imagine yeah. what we could do together where I didn't have to go in and spend 40 hours in an office, yeah. you know, doing something I still enjoyed, but wasn't able to focus 100% on the marketing agency side. Yeah. And uh, finally, when we decided that, um, you know, we set the terms and decided, all right, Coulter, you know, take your pay cut and figure it out. And, you know, this is what can help um, move this along. And uh, we both took a considerable amount of risk in, uh, in making it happen. And in 2017, we grew by 406%. So it apparently paid off for you. It paid off. It paid <laughs> off for us. Yeah, that's great. That's a great story. And so it was just this last year that you guys decided to combine and become Arcane. It was just this last year. Yeah. yeah so the beginning of 2019, uh, Nathan Hawks and Ryan and I all sat down at Blue Hashi. And you did basically the same thing that Ryan and you had done then. How yeah. do we get this all together? Yeah, you know, we were referring business back and forth between strategic social partners and arcane marketing, and it was working really well uh, again, but finally it was like, all right, let's just make this official. How do we work together long term? Uh-huh. How do we just make it happen? And uh, so the next step was, all right, let's get the wives together and uh, make sure that they're on board with us making this official and going for it. And uh, we. <laughs> We sat down at lunch. That was at the Fuji Hibachi Grill, and you know we're we're sitting there and, and jibber jabbering. And finally, Nate's like, "All right, well, let's set a date." Okay, we're setting a date, and uh, you know, so then the you know the wheels had already turned, and now it was, "All right, let's structure it. Let's create the the legal documentation." So I had the privilege of being able to go through the structure, the valuations, the you know coordinating accountants and attorneys and. Um, you know, bringing these entities together and ultimately we brought, uh, at that time, it would have been five companies together to, uh, to make it happen by July 1st, 2019. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, so between March and July, we, we made that happen. And it was a crazy whirlwind and it was such a fun journey. 
Um, and the journey isn't over. The beauty is, is that, you know, since July 1st, we have continued to just grow and we bring on more team members and, uh, you know, it is just getting more and more fun every single day. Oh, and we acquired another company in September and another one in December. <laughs> <laughs> so you definitely keep growing. So we definitely keep growing. Yeah, and and there's multiple strategies of growing, right? You have organic growth and you have growth by acquisition. And uh, we're not opposed to any of those. Yeah. We want to, one, be able to provide the absolute value for our clients. And so the more experts that we can acquire that align with our vision and our mission and what we're trying to accomplish um, is more compliment that we can do for our clients yeah, right. who want to grow as Have well. Have everything. Um, so obviously you talked a little bit about this all through the story you gave, but being an entrepreneur, you're naturally in a position where you need to take risks. And you talked about you and Ryan taking this risk and, and joining together. So what do you think is one of the most worthwhile risks you've taken up to this point? One of the most worthwhile risks? Uh, partnering with Ryan is one of my favorite decisions that we've made. You know, that is you know, something that we both talked about a lot and with our wives and, you know, the, you know, our wives are our business partners as much as anyone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a partnership is very much like a marriage uh, and communication is critical. You know, the finances are stressful and can be, and, you know, managing that relationship is, um, I would say almost as important as the relationship with a spouse at home. And the reason being is that, you know, just like going to a nine to five job is important to, you know, enjoy what you do. You take home whatever it is that you spend your time doing all day long. And it matters the people that you're with. And Ryan and I hit it off from the very beginning of, we're going to go kill it. And we don't care what anybody says. We're going to do it because we know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know how to do it, we'll figure it figure out. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, that's how your, what your motto is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's been really fun uh, to see, you know, from April of 2017, where we've been able to get to, uh, to today. Um, yeah, it, it's awesome. It has been a wild ride. And imagine, I mean, the future's very bright for all of you guys. It's it awesome. is, you know, and it gets, it gets, like I said, even more fun every day. Um, because we have resources today that we have yet to have. Uh, July 1st was an incredible combination of, you know, multiple companies' resources into one. And we've seen and studied that the, one of the biggest phases or challenges that a company sees is that phase between 10 and 20 employees. And it's because between, between 10 and 20 employees, you need to start to have, you know, a hierarchy of, you know, who's managing who and what are the roles and responsibilities and what are the, what's the accountability that needs to happen within a company. Right. And we took it from 10 to 35 overnight, which now we have all of that that needs to happen overnight um, to manage and have accountability yeah. and roles and responsibilities and what are the objectives as a team. And we've implemented uh, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and that has been, you know, just heaven sent in the fact that it gave us a structure of being able to establish those roles and responsibilities and accountability 
so that we could give that compliment to the team as a whole. Yeah, I think they're saying that's saying something for even for our small people who don't grow at that rapid of pace. You take you don't really understand how not having those processes and procedures in place um, start to affect you as your business is growing. Uh, Kevin and I are going through that and expanding our business. Being a little mom and pa shop with two employees is very different than what we have now. And we have to start acting like we're grown up, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> so we're, we're we've legit. all gone through the growing pains, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so when you talk about your journey, you sound very self-confident. Did you ever feel like an imposter through any of this? Did you have self-doubt and wonder what the heck you were doing? When you lose money, um, especially for somebody that trains themselves to understand money, um, it is it, it takes it out of you, right? It, it, and yes, you question, um, especially when you lose somebody else's money. And I would argue, hands down, that relationships are the priceless piece of life. There is no relationship worth any amount of money to sacrifice. And uh, having those conversations of, hey, I just lost, you know, your savings, or, you know, we expected this and we didn't get it. Um, nobody wants to have that conversation. And, you know, but those relationships are so much more important than any dollar amount that could potentially be gained. And um, so the risks in it is, you know, sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, but those are things that we, that we face in that we do the absolute best that we can and we expect to deliver and we deliver. So how do you deal with that in your own psyche? Like, I have just let these guys down. I mean, is it just in your nature to be... I'm going to go forward. I just can't let this get me down. You, you can't let it. You can't let it hang on you forever. Um, you know. So that was 2010, and uh, I get to pay for that still today. Um, but you know, two years later, I bought four properties. Now that's not because I had a whole lot of money. That's because then I had to be really creative in me being able to hit my goals, mm -hmm. and that creativity included seller carry back notes and you know so owner financing and wraparound mortgages and subject to mortgages and you know so all of these creative strategies that um, I had learned through this real estate education um, I had to truly implement and probably go above and beyond what most people do to create value out of something that I didn't have really a whole lot to contribute other than some good education. So that's when it really tested those skills that you got. It did, yeah, <laughs> because from a mindset standpoint, I could say, well, I failed at this and I should probably move on and do something else. Yeah. When I decided, no, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about investing and in real estate and in business and in entrepreneurship and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make it work. And I'm gonna recover from whatever that was in 2010 and I'm going to learn from whatever that was and I'm going to move on to what is most important to me and that's creating wealth because that is my objective. Yeah, I think um, we all, it's a great lesson in the fact that we're all going to have something that kicks our butt in one way or another 
and we have to make that decision. How serious are we about this? What exactly are we wanting? Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to fold when you're an entrepreneur and have a failure. And so it's not a business to go into for the faint of heart. You got to be willing to face the, those demons and those times of failure. That's exactly right. Yeah, and prepare for those times where you could potentially fail. Um, you know, there's there's risk and there's reward, and there's conservatism and there's you know, risk uh, tolerance, right? And as long as you can sleep at night, it doesn't matter where you are in regards to risk tolerance versus being conservative and risk averse. It's a matter of going home and sleeping at night because. You were honest with those that you dealt with, and you did your absolute best. Yeah, yeah, I love that. All right, well, Coulter, we've talked a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners or advice you'd like to give to people who maybe are thinking about being entrepreneurs? Look, I absolutely love being an entrepreneur. I love you know owning a business, and I am excited for anyone that is starting on the adventure of being an entrepreneur. You know, I grew up in a small town in western Wyoming and I learned, you know, from my parents who went through, you know, turning a failing business into a thriving business. And I remember the conversations overheard at the kitchen table is that it was hard and it isn't easy, but it isn't and it isn't for the faint of heart, but it can be done by those who have the perseverance and the the willpower to just simply get it done. And so for anybody that is getting ready to launch a business or they're excited about and passionate about what they do, is I would say, if you're not passionate about what you're about to sell, then it probably isn't for you. I will not sell anything that I am not 100% passionate about. I am proud of being arcane marketing because I know that we can grow companies and we provide these this innovative solution for companies so that they can grow. And it's the same thing with real estate, is that I know that I can provide a nice place for people to live. And I know that, you know, in in these products that, you know, provide value and create value for people, is that I'm proud of what we're accomplishing. And uh I'm, I'm excited for anybody that's starting that journey, but it takes grit, it takes consistency, and I would speak to consistency in that uh, once you've made a decision, own your decision and go through with it. And if you made a mistake, you know, fix that mistake and keep moving forward. Yeah, own your mistake too, and then yeah, buckle up because you got the next thing coming along. Absolutely. Great. Well, Coulter, I so thank you for sharing your wisdom and especially your time with us today. It is definitely clear that you have a passion for the work that you do at Arcane um, and with everything that you do, obviously. And Arcane is headed for some great things. So I'm looking forward to see what those next things are and what next adventure you decide to take on. Well, thank you. I'm, you know, we are too. We're excited for what's next and what we'll build and uh, how we can work with our clients and the people that get, we get to work with. Well, thanks for your example and your inspiration. As a reminder, this show is brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair, the only place that has been serving Idaho Falls and Rexburg for over 80 years where you can receive automotive repair with honesty and integrity. So please come and see us and let our family take care of your family. Now, stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. 
It's now time for a business leadership moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the business leadership moment. This segment is brought to us by RiseCon. Uh, RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference that's held every November. And you heard Coulter talk about it just a little bit. Um, So this will be the third year. Plan ahead, man. Please try to be there in November. It's such a great event. Uh, It's also brought to you by RiseX. RiseX is their sister event that's held on a monthly basis. And I just want to point you towards their new website. They are now at RiseX, R-I-Z-E-X dot I-O. So www.risex.io, and you can find out more information about RiseX. Um, They've changed the pricing with it, and it just is really uh, a great place, and and the pricing change has made it so it's available to really any business who wants to be a part of it. So I highly recommend you check it out. Um, Okay, so today I wanted to do something a little bit different I just finished a book, and it's been on my mind, and I thought I would share some points of it about it with you and um, see maybe if any of you guys have listened to it or read it and if you had any insight from your own personal understanding of what he was saying and insights that maybe it, it ra- rose up in you. Um, but the book is called Can't Hurt Me, and it's by David Goggins. And if you aren't familiar with who David Goggins is— he is um, like an ultra human. That's all I have to say about who he is. But his life's mission is to be uncommon amongst the uncommon, to be the best of the best, to live a life that truly demonstrates the extent of the human potential. And this book explains how he has tested that and the things that he has done. So just to give you kind of an idea of who this guy is, he he was raised in a super abusive home. Him and his his mother left that situation. And then he was basically in poverty because she was a single mom trying to make it work. Um, he, he overcame a lot of things in his youth. And um, then he became kind of lazy, overweight, not really going anywhere, had an epiphany that he really wanted to change his life. And he has now completed more than 60 ultra marathons triathlons, ultra triathlons. He's the former Guinness world record holder for completing 4,030 pull-ups in 17 hours. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He's the only member of the U.S. Armed Forces to ever complete SEAL training, U.S. Army Ranger School, and Air Force Tactical Air Controller training. So he's done a few things in his life. And maybe when you hear that, like me, you are like, intimidated already because there's no way you can be this individual. And the book isn't about, hey, how do you become me? It's just talking about his story of how, of the insights he had as he was fighting the demons in his own head and being able to accomplish things that he never could imagine were able to be accomplished. But um it, he definitely was never, he never settled, you know, when he accomplished something he didn't even really take a whole lot of time to celebrate it. He said, wow, now what's possible next? Uh, it's a different mindset and it's certainly something that was fascinating to me to listen to. So I wanted to share a few quotes with you that came out of the book and um, hopefully give you a chance to kind of think about what he says. And 
again, I'd love to know how you feel about this. This guy is hardcore, so hardcore. The language in the book is hardcore. He's a sailor and he talks like a sailor. So if you decide to listen to this book, just be forewarned that um, it's definitely not one that you want to listen to with your children in your car. But if you can tolerate that this is the way that he is in his language, um, he just has quite an amazing story. So one of the things he said in the book, which I really loved, was we habitually settle for less than our best at work, in school, in our relationships, and on the playing field or race course. We settle as individuals, and we teach our children to settle for less than their best. And all of that ripples out, merges, and multiplies within our communities and society as a whole. So that really moved me because I um, I think about my own life and the people around me and where I think, yeah, you know, we are settling. I know I have settled for less than my best. Um, and I've been okay with it, right? I've gotten away with it or it's worked and so I don't really push. Uh, and I tend to kind of rest on it's good enough. Um, you will definitely not feel that way in this book, that it's never good enough. Like you've got to push and you've got to do more. And one of the things I learned about myself as I listened to this book is that I'm living far below my potential. And I don't mean that in kind of a whiny way, like, gosh, he made me feel like crap and I'm living so much further than below what I should do. I mean that in a way that I really, the human potential is so amazing and I had the very clear recognition that I'm living below what that potential is for myself. So it was inspiring to me, made me want to see what I could do. Um, So that's what I'm going to try to work towards. Uh, Here's another quote around him that I really enjoyed. And he said, until you experience hardships like abuse and bullying, failures and disappointments, your mind will remain soft and exposed. Life experience, especially negative experiences, help callous the mind. But it's up to you where that callus lines up. If you choose to see yourself as a victim of circumstances into adulthood, that callus will become resentment that protects you from the unfamiliar. It'll make you too cautious and untrusting and possibly too angry at the world. It'll make you fearful of change and hard to reach, but not hard of mind. So, wow, I think about that. I think about how that's applied in my own life. People around me where I feel like that has definitely... Um, I've seen that and goes back to, are we victims of our circumstances? Do we have control over it? And and that we do have the power to take back our power and not give it away to people and circumstances and things that have happened to us. Um, I, you know, you've heard me talk about that before, how much the victim thinking um, rules so many of our lives. And when we take that opportunity to take back our power. Uh, It's liberating. Uh, We really have all of the power and we don't need to be giving it away. So great, a great quote I thought from him. Here's another one where I think especially us as business owners, we can kind of get into this where we listen to others' opinions. Uh, Even now, uh, as I'm changing in my career, I'm going to people and I'm like, what do you think of this? And they'll give me their opinion and it, you know, it kind of stirs in me and I may or may not agree with it. But what am I doing with that when I don't agree with it? Am I letting that get into my head? Um, here's a quote he said, we are all guilty of allowing so-called experts or just people who have more experience in a given field than we do to cap our potential. 
And man, I saw that in myself. How many times have I said, oh, well, they've been in this business for forever. They totally know. So I'm not going to go out on what I think I should do because I'll be wasting my time. And I loved his challenge of that. You know, it's capping your potential. You don't even know. Try it. And then, you know, it might not go your way, which leads me to his next quote, which he says, it doesn't always go your way. So you can't get trapped in this idea that just because you've imagined a possibility for yourself, that you somehow deserve it. Your entitled mind is dead weight. Cut it loose. Don't focus on what you deserve. Take aim on what you are willing to earn. Um, Right back. Put it right back on us, right? He was like, you don't deserve anything. Don't focus on what you deserve. Um, Your entitled mind, feeling that way, it's dead weight. It's going to hold you back. Take aim on what you are willing to earn and then go out and get it. Very self-empowered, very much don't wait for somebody. Um, maybe that's what I loved about this whole book is he just did it. It You know, he didn't wait for somebody to tell him he could. Um, here's another quote. He said, most of us are motivated as hell to do anything to pursue our dreams until those around us remind us of danger, the downside, our own limitations, and all of the people before us that didn't make it. Sometimes the advice comes from a well-intentioned place. They really believe they're doing it for our own good. But if you let them, these same people will talk you out of your dreams. So I have experienced this in my life. I have I have the best mother ever, and um, she passed away a little bit over a year ago. But she definitely put her own fears of uh, failure on me and the things that I was doing. And I know that her, she was coming from a place of love and cautioning and saying, be careful with all of this and you shouldn't do this. And man, I, you know, you're putting yourself out there. And I know that it was a place from her own fears that she was speaking, but it definitely, I can see how what he says is that these same people will talk you out of your dreams. Um, so you do you, you know, if you believe in something, uh, Pursue it with all of your heart. And then if you fail, guess what? You get to learn and pick yourself back up and do something else. All right, I'm just going to end with one more. He says, we know life can be hard, and yet we feel sorry for ourselves when it isn't fair. From this point forward, accept the following as Goggin's law of nature. You will be made fun of. You will feel insecure. You may not be the best all the time. You may be the only black, white, Asian, Latino, female, male, gay, lesbian, or fill in any identity in a given situation. There will be times when you feel alone. Get over it. Our minds are strong. They are our most powerful weapon, but we have stopped using them. So um, super powerful. I hope that maybe one of these quotes resonated with you, lit a little bit of a fire. If you want the full thing, definitely read the book again with the caution of he's a sailor. (laughs) Um, But it was very motivating for me. And I just wanted to share that with you guys today. I know that we are probably all living far below our potential, giving 40% um, instead of 80 or 100 Um, And imagine what we could all do if we just got past those fears and realized the, the amazing potential that's in each of us. So go out there, find your potential this week, and I'll be back next week to talk to you. 
Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.